what are some things that rob us of our peace, right? There are things that rob us of our peace. And Jesus said that he was leaving his peace with us, his peace. He said, not as the world gives, but my peace I leave with you. Worldly peace is dependent upon circumstances. If everything's going great, right, then we're at peace. Yay. But when chaos comes into our life, it robs us of our peace. And I was thinking about a few of these. Perfectionism robs us of our peace. Legalism robs us of peace. Sin robs us of peace. Guilt and shame. Fear probably might be one of the number one things that robs us of peace. Unforgiveness towards somebody. For me, probably the the two biggest things that rob my peace personally are bugs. I hate bugs, man. And I think the second thing that robs me of my peace is my love for the Rockies. And I, I get picked on every week by our beloved Brian. But uh, who knows? I guess God's for the underdog. I'll be for the underdog as well. But in reality, the things that rob us of our peace is usually people not being at peace with one another. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans chapter 12, he said, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends upon you, not the other person, but you. All people aren't going to always live at peace with you. But as, as far as it depends upon you, he says. And as I was thinking about being a peacemaker, becoming a peacemaker, you can be a peacemaker, you can be a peacetaker, or you can be a peace faker, right? You can be a peacemaker. And Jesus said, blessed are those that are peacemakers, but then there's peace takers. We take one another's peace with our bad moods, our irritability, our impatience, even further on. Sometimes people are faking peace, though, especially in relationships. And we become codependent instead of being real and working through things the way God wants us to. We're in a series called Whosoever Believes. And what we've been doing throughout the summer is looking at the letters of the New Testament. And looking from Romans to Revelation and taking each, each letter that sometimes is written to a group of people, you know, the churches, for example, the Romans or Ephesians. Sometimes the letters are more personal, like Paul wrote to Timothy twice and then um, to Titus. And today we're looking at the book of Philemon. This little short letter, it's one chapter. It's only 25 verses long. But this short letter is a perfect portrait of the gospel. It's the gospel. The heart of the gospel, of Jesus' gospel, is Him reconciling us to the Father. It's Him making peace with God for us. He's that. He's the great reconciler. Now, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, he was transformed by the Prince of Peace. It's a name of Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. And when in the book of Acts, we see the apostle Paul, he was a religious terrorist. He thought he was doing the God of Israel a favor by rounding up these new people calling Jesus Christ the Messiah. And he'd round them up. Some of them got killed. 
And on the road to Damascus, as he was going out to round up more Christians, Jesus shows up. He gets knocked off his horse. And he transforms Paul to become an apostle of peace, of the gospel of peace, for the God of peace. He's transformed. So he's writing this letter. Now, there's three main characters outside of Jesus in this little short letter that I'm going to read. First is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing this letter from a prison cell in Rome. Paul had been been taken to Rome to stand before the Roman government because he preached the kingdom of Jesus rather than the kingdom of Rome. He He was in jail for what I'm doing right now, for what we're doing. Think about that. And he, he is, uh, he's in prison. And then you got this guy named Philemon. Philemon was part of the church in Colossae, which is where we get our letter to the Colossians. And he was a rich, wealthy man, Philemon was. He owned slaves. Now, before you get tripped up on that, slavery in the Bible times, 99% of the time was not taking someone against their will to, to work for you, but it was the way people who were in debt worked off their debt. And they would go work for wealthy people to work off their debts. It was no bankruptcy back in the day. No chapter 9 or whatever that's called. It was you went and worked and, and worked off your debt. Then there's this guy we're going to hear about named Onesimus. Onesimus. He was a slave of Philemon. And he ran away from Philemon to Rome. And his whole plan was to go blend in in Rome and just maybe find odds and end kind of job or whatever and didn't work so well for him because Philemon would have had a hole in his earlobe. And that hole in his earlobe identified him as a slave. And so he obviously was a runaway from somewhere in the world. And someone, someone saw that. And they turned Philemon in. I mean, turned Onesimus in. And he ends up in a jail cell with none other than the Apostle Paul. How many know if you sit in a jail cell with the Apostle Paul, you're going to hear the gospel? It's kind of like sitting in a jail cell with Greg Steer, right? If you, those of you that know Greg Steer, you're going to hear the gospel. And that's what happened. And Paul befriends him, disciples him, and leads him to Jesus. So let me read this to you. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Apathia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing We share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. 
Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man now, also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you would do would not seem forced but would be voluntarily. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. That's the heart of a peacemaker. That's the heart of someone who knows they have peace with God through Jesus and passing that on. The heart of a a reconciler. I love how the Bible came to be, especially the New Testament. Like we're peeking into a personal letter here, and it was preserved for us 2,000 years later to have an understanding of how the early church did church in relationships and so forth. So how do we become peacemakers instead of peacetakers or peace fakers? Because to be honest, I've been all three. I've been all three. And God wants us, Jesus wants us to become peacemakers. Let me give you a a few things about peacemaking. There's a few things that a peacemaker knows and believes. And the first one is this. A peacemaker knows and believes that Jesus is the real peacemaker. He's the true reconciler. In Paul's letter, second letter to to the church at Corinth, he said, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Jesus came on a a rescue mission. He came on a, a rescue mission to reconcile us, to make peace through his sacrificial life, death, and resurrection so that we could have peace with God. So here's the deal. At the end of the day, only Jesus can bring peace to broken relationships. If you're in a broken relationship, whether it's marriage, family, friendship, only 
Jesus is going to bring his peace. The Prince of Peace needs to be applied in broken relationships. Only Jesus can bring peace to the world's problems, right? You think of racism, people hating one another because of their nationality or the color of their skin. Now, that's a warped mindset, and it never belongs in the life of a follower of Jesus because around the throne of Jesus is every tribe, tongue, and nation. What they did in the Dominican Republic, several of us have got to go before, and when we worship in the churches in the Dominican Republic with them and they're speaking Spanish and doing their native music, man, it's a little slice of heaven because in heaven we're, it's going to be all kinds of things, every tribe, tongue, and nation. In, I have a friend that lives part-time in Israel. He lives in a town called Haifa, which is in the north part of the coastal area there. And his church is made up of both Jew and Palestinians. So you know in Israel there's tension all the time between the Jews and the Palestinians. And yet, where the Prince of Peace is acknowledged, they get along great together. They serve one another. They literally wash each other's feet. Only Jesus can do that. And then only Jesus can restore families. Broken marriages. My parents, when I was in the third grade, got divorced. And it broke my little eight-year-old heart. Two years later in the fifth grade, they got remarried. You don't hear about that a whole lot, do you? They got remarried. When I was fast forward to being a freshman in college, uh, they split up again. My mom moved out. I was the youngest of four. So she moved out, and uh, it, looked, it looked bleak that this was going to end in, you know, final divorce. And Palms, my dad had started going to church down the street from where we lived. And on Palm Sunday of 1987, he asked my mom if she would come to church with him. And they were infighting big time. And she said yes. And they heard a message that drew them to give their lives over to Jesus, to align their lives with Jesus. And they got back together. They didn't get divorced. And they actually like started acting like high school sweethearts. You know, he'd catch them kissing in the kitchen. He'd be like, ah, mom and dad, you know, like enough. But in all reality, you know, they, they had a, it was tough for them because, the, but they lasted 55 years. Only the Prince of Peace can bring that kind of peace and reconciliation. Another thing that a peacemaker knows is that Jesus has called his church to continue his ministry of reconciliation and peacemaking. We have a calling individually and as a body to be peacemakers that we will be our, do our part not to take peace or fake peace, but to make peace in this world. Paul continued in his letter to the Corinthians. He said, and he gave us this ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. That's a powerful statement. The Father was in the Son reconciling humanity back to himself not counting people's sins against them. If he wasn't counting their sins against them, why do I? Why do we? It's so easy to judge. It's so easy to condemn. 
And yet the, fa- the Father's heart is peace and reconciliation. He didn't give us the, the ministry of condemnation. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus passed that on to us. A third thing about a peacemaker is this, that peacemaking trumps revenge and that mercy triumphs over judgment. Trumps judgment, trumps revenge, and mercy trumps judgment. In the uh, Sermon on the Mount in Luke's gospel, Jesus says this. He says, be merciful as your Father is merciful. Now, if you go to Matthew's gospel and how he wrote the same line in the certain Sermon on the Mount, he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And sometimes we trip up on that because none of us are perfect. We know that. So is Jesus calling us to, to a life of perfectionism? I don't think so. The, the better maybe even translation of perfect is complete. But really, look at that interchangeably. Be merciful. Be perfect as your Father is perfect. To be perfect is to be merciful. It's to be a peacemaker. It's to be a peacemaker. And then what a true peacemaker knows and believes is this, that we're all Onesimus. We are all runaway slaves. We've all ran from God. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin at its very core is a lack of love. That's what sin really is. It's a, it's a failure to, to trust and believe God and do things His way, and it's a failure to love my neighbor or others as myself. That's at the core of all sin. Jesus said this. He said, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Well, I sin. You sin. Does that make us slaves? Well, yes and no. Because the beautiful part of it is, if you read on in that passage, Jesus says, you will know the truth. If you put my words into practice, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, and you will no longer live as a slave. But, but we are all broken, right? Because of this reality, we're all broken. We've been hurt by others. We've been hurt by life. We've hurt others. It's, it's true of all of us. We're in need of grace. Some of the things that we say around novation are we're the imperfect following a perfect Savior, right? We are growing into our understanding of who we are in Him. We also have a little saying that we say is that we're building community on shared brokenness. And what what that means is you might have somebody that doesn't even know what they believe right now. They're not sure about Jesus to the person who's been walking with Jesus for 60, 70 years. What's true about both of those people and everything in between is they're in need of grace every day. We are in need of grace every single day. That levels the playing field in how we, how we see one another. It's not who's in or out. It's, hey, you need grace, and so do I. And Jesus is the grace of God. Paul understood this talking about his pre-conversion experience to Timothy, he said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer 
and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul knew he was, he was blood brothers with Onesimus as well that he had been that runaway slave, but he was transformed. And then I would say, lastly, what a peacemaker knows and believes is this, that the gospel can change any person in any situation. Onesimus left as a rebel, and he returned as a brother. What a cool story. He left as a runaway slave, a rebel, and he's going to return back to home to Philemon as a brother in the Lord. Paul was living out and demonstrating the gospel for both Onesimus and Philemon. So let's bring some practical application to this, to this little letter that we get a sneak peek into a, of a broken relationship finding healing. Three things. To be a peacemaker, I think there's three things. And the first one is this. I need to be a friend. Be a friend. Peacemakers are friendly people. Peacemakers do everything they can to uh, take care of friendships in reaching out. You, if you, a friendship isn't really a friendship until it's been tested by conflict. When you, you're friends with somebody and they rub you wrong or offend you and there's no reconciliation, there's no forgiveness might not really have been a true friendship because you're around somebody long enough, they're going to bug you, right? Have you figured that one out? Like somebody's going to rub you wrong. Somebody's going to offend you. But learning how to be a peacemaker is to be a friend. Paul was a friend to both of these guys. Friends go with you through the tough stuff. Friends show up when life is difficult. They meet you where you're at. I love when Jesus told his disciples, he says, I call you friends. He didn't call them, he didn't say, you're my servants. He, said, he didn't say, you're my project, and I'm going to fix you, and I'm going to, if I spend enough time with you, I'll fix you. That's not being a friend trying to fix somebody. A friend meets somebody where they're at. But friendship changes the, our ability and opens the door to influence and to peacemaking. That was the first seven verses Paul was talking about their friendship, appealing to their friendship. And then secondly, be a forgiver. Peacemakers are forgivers. Onesimus walked, traveled 1,200 miles from the city of Colossae to Rome. That's a long journey. So the odds are really good that he stole from Philemon and left his debt that he hadn't worked off behind. He stole from him to finance this long 1,200-mile journey and how was he going to live in Rome. 
The Apostle Paul says, whatever he owes you, charge it to my account. Like, that's forgiveness. That's taking responsibility and helping somebody. Forgiveness is costly. If you're going to forgive somebody, it's going to cost you something. Whether it's, it, it's pride, it's emotions, it's all kinds of things. Forgiveness is always costly, but forgiveness is always the way of Christ. Reconciliation and peacemaking is always Jesus' priority in our lives and in our relationships. We don't get to not forgive people. Now, that doesn't mean you're a doormat and that you don't have boundaries and relationships and all that. That's not what that means. But it doesn't mean we get to hold it over on them. To forgive somebody is to say, I'm not going to take revenge for what has happened to me, and I'm not going to keep bringing it up. It doesn't mean you're going to forget. Like Sometimes people think, man, I still have the emotions. I still have the, the hurt that's there. Well, that happens because we're human, and that's life. Forgiveness, however, though, is going to cost us something. I was thinking about Jesus in forgiving us through his sacrificial work on the cross, he was saying, charge it to my account. Just like Paul said, charge it to my account. Jesus said, take their debts, charge it to to my account. Paul told the church in, in Colossae, he said, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So whenever I'm having a hard time forgiving somebody, man, I think about how much the Lord forgives me every day and how much in my past he's forgiven. I don't get to not forgive. That goes for all of us. To follow Jesus is to be a forgiver and a peacemaker. And then lastly, be a future giver. Be a friend, be a forgiver, be a future giver. Onesimus, his name in in Greek meant useful. And Paul does a little play on words if you caught that there where he says he was useless to you, a play on his, his name, he says he didn't live up to his name of being useful. And I think that's amazing what he did here because now he's useful to Paul and to Philemon, he says. He's useful to both of us. No longer a slave, but a brother. A peacemaker, a reconciler, helps others understand their new identity in Christ. And when you understand your identity in Christ and your purpose in Christ, that makes your future, like you, you, you're given a hope and a future. Jesus wants his followers to be peacemakers, not takers or fakers. I wonder in your life, if there's an area that the Lord is convicting you on where maybe you're taking peace from somebody. It could be little things to a big thing. And would you give that over to Jesus and say, I don't want to be a peace taker. I want to be a, a peacemaker. I want to be someone who promotes the prince of peace, the tranquility that comes from a peaceful relationship. I know I can get irritated easy and, and snap takes peace from my wife, takes peace from my family. Lord, I don't want to be that. I want to be a peacemaker. I want to make life peaceful for my wife and my family. If you're willing today to commit to a life of peacemaking, 
Would you stand to your feet right now? And we're going to pray a prayer, the prayer of a peacemaker together. To become a peacemaker starts with aligning your life to the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is peacemaking. And it's following peace and, and, and reconciliation. It doesn't mean we don't speak the truth in love to people who are wrong, to people who are doing wrong. That's, that's, that can be part of peacemaking, to be real. But have you aligned your life with Jesus? Have you come into agreement with him that he is creator of all things, the Lord of all things, and your savior? That's what faith is, is agreeing with Jesus. We don't make him Lord. We don't make him savior. He's already that. You just say, I agree with you, Jesus. That's how you enter into a walk with him. He'll do the changing. He'll do the cleansing as you just give your life over to him. But as you've stood today to say, I'm going to commit my life to be a life of a peacemaker, then let's, let's pray this together. Say it out loud with me. Father, you have given Jesus as our teacher and guide and the Holy Spirit as our helper. I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit every day so that his fruit would manifest in my life, in my relationships, and in every context in which I find myself. I especially ask that I would become a person whom you can rely on to extend, promote, and encourage peace in every encounter. I have today and every day. I take the seeds of peace you have given me through your Holy Spirit, and I will with great intention sow them everywhere I go. Let there be peace on earth, and let it begin with me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Father, as we go to sing now, you are the God of the redeemed. Let us live as people whom you have redeemed. As we sing this song, fill us fresh and new with your spirit. Amen. We belong to you, Father. Love has come. Orphans no longer brought into light and freedom by the blood and the mercy of Jesus. It's rising, it's rising. The song of hope must set free. It's rising. It's rising, it's rising up. And hallelujah to you, God of the redeemed. Hallelujah. Open blinded eyes to see. We will praise you. Yeah.
times you see in scripture that he is the God of peace. He's the God of the redeemed. And the tug in my heart and for all of us is that we live as redeemed people. We find our identity in him, not in this world or our jobs, or our careers, our looks, our status, our success. We're his kids. We have a great father in heaven. And he loves you. He can heal any hurt, any problem. And he has your best interest at heart at all times. So when God tells us to do something or not to do it, it's because he's a perfect father. And he created us. He knows what's best for us. So let's align our lives to him and his way. And let that reconciliation and peacemaking permeate your marriage, your family, your friendships, put aside all the little things that irritate you about each other sometimes, (laughs) and let his peace flood and fill your heart. So Father, thank you. Thank you that peace is a fruit of the Spirit, and as we walk in the Spirit, we're going to walk in a life of peace. Jesus, you promised your peace to us. Help us to live in it and to share it with an unpeaceful world. In Jesus' name, amen.